I'd like to just encourage you to um, just receive the engrafted word of God. Uh, we're, we're living in a time, and, I, and this, uh, this third service always is, is a service where I generally exercise a lot of freedom. But we're living in a time period where the enemy is raging and he is always trying to get you uh, off your game, as it were. Uh, have you ever noticed how if you've watched athletics, you've watched basketball or football, an inferior player will almost always try to get a great player uh, angry or do something that is a foul uh, or we would call a dirty play to get them off the game. Well, the, the enemy is a dirty player, and he is always trying to get you off your game, trying to get you to react to him rather than um, uh, do what God has commanded of you. He wants you to react. You should have a proper response to the enemy, but not a, a like a, a reaction uh, to him, a, a, like almost an involuntary reaction to the enemy. He's a loser, and that's why he's doing what he's doing. So in, uh, in today, uh, dur during this day in which we live, the enemy is really attacking God's people. And he wants you to act like the world, and he wants you to act as though or live as though you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, you don't know who God is and what God's purposes are for you. That's how he wants you to act, to conduct yourself. But say no, no. Amen. No, no. <clears throat> um, so let's look at the message today, Hope Beyond the Temporal. Uh, this is the fourth message in the series, and I had actually hoped uh, that I would just stop preaching on it. I had the expectation I'm going to stop preaching on this. You know, people are, are not uh, wanting to hear continually hope beyond the temporal. I said, but the Holy Spirit moved on me, preach it again. So, yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir, I'll preach it again. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And so let's look at Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 20. Uh, we'll start in verse 20, and I'll try to make up more ground than I did in the first two services. So that means I'll give you uh, less play-by-play, -play. all right? And so let's look at Romans 8.20. So Paul is talking about creation in a very beautiful way. Excuse me. And he says, for the creation was subjected to futility or vanity, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. <clears throat> so he's speaking of God. <clears throat> so he's speaking of God who subjected creation uh, to futility or vanity, uh, not because creation wanted it, but he subjected it in, uh, in hope. That is, he embedded that something was going, he embedded in his judgment that something amazing and beautiful was going to happen. He goes on in verse 21 to say, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. <clears throat> so what he is saying uh, to us is that he subjected creation 
uh, to futility. This creation that we look at, and remember our subject is hope beyond the temporal. This creation that we look at, we, we are astounded by its beauty. I remember first time I was in Hawaii, I thought, oh my goodness. I'd never seen anything so beautiful. I'd never seen water so blue. And uh, later we went to Switzerland, and I thought, oh, my goodness, the mountains are as beautiful as the oceans. And I was so uh, moved by the beauty of Switzerland. And I thought, wow, this is why people fought over this land and tried to take it, you know, because it's so beautiful. And then, of course, in Austria and other places in the world, and uh, uh, even in South Texas, you know, uh, even in South Texas, our our beaches. It's not what it could be, but it's beautiful to us. So, so you see the beautiful places, and you, you're impressed. But, but the most beautiful place you've seen is not like what God has planned for you. You have to understand that through the Scriptures. And he says that he subjected the creation itself not to outshine you, the people of God. It's not greater than you. It's not going to be uh, to produce more abundantly than you. But creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty. Now listen, into something that you possess, that you have, into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now, now, now that's really for me, if I'm alone reading in, the, in, uh, in my bedroom, I, I'm shouting right now. I mean, I may not be screaming out loud, but I'm going, God, this is good stuff. God, this is wow, gee, wow, come on, Jesus. You know, that's how I talk to the Lord. When I'm reading his word, it's so amazing. But sometimes we, we can't, we don't respond to the Lord like that because I think we don't understand the depth of it. Sometimes we say, well, that's just not the way I'm built. Well, you ought to be built to give glory to God. You know, I mean, you know, come on. If you are not built to give glory to God and to shout to the Lord with the voice of triumph, you're not built by God. Come on. So in verse 22, now he, he says some things to us in verse 22 because in verse 22, he introduces um, this new thought which sets forth the hope of future deliverance. So he's setting, uh, he's setting bringing in a new thought of future deliverance from suffering under the curse of sin. So we all who have lived any time know that suffering really is a part of this life. Now let me just deviate for a moment. I didn't want to give as much play-by-play. But let me just say that so often believers will say things to me that just aren't scriptural. I know you heard them in church, but they're not scriptural. (laughs) It's not scriptural. We talk about, about things like, uh, oh, God doesn't want any of us to be sick, or God doesn't want any of us to be sad. Well, I know that's true in, in one sense, but you will be sick, you will be sad, you will have things that happen to you because you live in a fallen world. You know, we just read that the creation is going to be, uh, was subjected to futility, uh, but not willingly, to, or to vanity or the ability not to produce as it should have or was designed to. And you and I are, are, have, were fallen beings, and God had to restore us through his son. So all the things around you are corruption. And so you and I live in a fallen world. God has not stacked the deck against worldly people. Okay, you come to me and I'll heal you. You don't, I won't. You know, no, it's not the way God is. 
You know, so, so we all want God to do everything the way we are presupposed, and God doesn't do it that way. No, he doesn't stack the decks against them. And God is not this God where I'll withhold sickness until you come to me. No, he doesn't blackmail people. That's for, of the devil. Okay, are you still with me? So I want you to have a proper perspective. You know, I've heard some of the same sermons you've heard, and I, I went in some of those directions too because it so sounded good, they felt good, but then I said, whoa, 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 this is not right. You know, we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. People get sick. Even the great apostle Paul who, who uh, um, uh, healed Eutychus. Oh, Eutychus was up in the third floor. You know, th that means if you've got a long-winded preacher, you don't want to be in the third floor. <laughs> Eutychus was in the third floor flood of fellowship. Paul just kept preaching. Paul, Paul knew that he wasn't coming in that area any longer because God was moving him on. So he was trying to tell them everything. And sometimes we pastors and preachers and teachers, we try to tell you everything because we want to get it all out. We want it to be out there because those things which are revealed are for us and for our children forever. And so we're trying to give you all of the revelation that we've got from God. And so this man, Eutychus, fell down, young, young lad, fell down. He was dead, killed him. And Paul went there and, and got on him and breathed on him, stretched out over him and, said, and raised the boy back to, to life. He was dead. He wasn't unconscious. He was dead. And so, and so but this is the same Paul who writes to Timothy and he says, uh, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake and your often infirmities. Well, he was, why didn't he heal Timothy? Timothy is a man of God. Young Timothy is, is pastoring the greatest church in the brotherhood. Whew. But he said, take a little wine, drink a little wine. Y'all don't have stomach problems, so forget it. Don't use that as no excuse, but I think my stomach's hurt. But it was, it was a, for medicinal purposes. So I'm saying to you that, that we have to understand that we are living in a fallen world, but God has set us forth for something beautiful. He has set us forth for something beautiful. So he says that the creation uh, is going to be delivered into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And so God brings us forth in great liberty and presents us, and then creation now begins to produce because, it, because when we are, are totally... Uh, what God has purposed, we have, we have we've made it over. Uh, we have now resurrection bodies. He says creation is going to rejoice in that with us. Not only that, he says, not only that, verse 20, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I missed my verse 22. For we know the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together unto now. So Paul talks about birth pangs, uh, and, he, and he uses this word pangs. He's talking about a kind of birthing pain that the, our sisters understand we men don't understand. We don't understand. We watch, but we don't know, right? We can sympathize, but we can't empathize. And you ladies who have had babies, you understand birth pangs. And he says that the, uh, the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So he's changing, he's showing us something I think very, very beautiful. He is introducing this, this, this thought of hope of um, future deliverance from suffering and the curse of sin. And by that he says, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan 
uh, within ourselves. So those of us who have the Holy Spirit now, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. So we are the first people group. I'm talking about all of mankind. We're the first people group who have received the first fruits of the Spirit of God. Never before us did a people group walk around inhabited by God. You and I are the residents of God, as it were. Are you still with me? That ought to excite somebody. (laughs) Can you imagine God visiting you in in your local residence, wherever you live in the city? God just knocking and coming in to visit. That would be amazing, astounding. But God has done something even greater than that. He lives inside your human frame right now. That's big to me. Come on, I I shout by myself. I shout by myself. I'm not trying to whip it up. I shout by myself because these are astounding truths that sometimes the the body of Christ acts in a kind of a lackadaisical, but you know that word lackadaisical, like carefree, nothing big happened. Yeah. Sometimes we act like that. Okay, do you know I'm not fussing at you, right? I'm just preaching to you. I heard somebody kind of, when I said that, somebody went, <laughs> almost like, can't tell from your volume. You know? <laughs> but we ourselves groan within ourselves. And what Paul is talking about groaning, because we have the first fruits of the Spirit, he says, we have a sighing inside. We have a, a pray, an inaudible praying. We're not saying words, but inside the Holy Spirit with our spirit is groaning and wanting something for the vessel in which he's dwelling. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. Sometimes we don't know what he's saying and doing. And, and that's why sometimes we respond with tears. We cry. And sometimes we say, God's doing something. God's doing something. God's doing something. You don't know exactly what it is. You don't have an articulation. But you know the Holy Spirit inside you is, is groaning. He is making uh, intercessions for you, this particular house in which he lives. He's making intercession for you with, with groanings that are too deep for words. There are no words that can express these groanings. Wow! Isn't that amazing? So there are, as, as Pastor Stan sometimes says, that uh, words are often insufficient for God's expressions. And so God, the words are, they're not sufficient, so God gives you an impression. Oh, man, this is a, this is, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Uh, how shall we escape? So, but, but let me tell you what the enemy's done. He's played a vicious game, a vicious game on the believers. He's, he is, you know, the, the, sometimes the saying is that the mind is the devil's battlefield. You've heard that, the battle of the mind or something like the mind is this battlefield. Well, possibly in a sense. But I, don't, I think it's deeper than just the mind is a place where there's a war. I think it's a war for your mind. Because he wants to express himself through you. He has no means of expression if he cannot get those people uh, like us and express himself through. He already has a group of people and he's expressing himself through them. But he wants to express himself through you too. And so there's a battle for your mind and for your thinking. And so what I think that we need to do is recognize that all the things that are going on 
in, uh, in our city, in our county, our state, our nation, and even the world are for, to get you to think differently, act differently, and be a part of the mess that's going on in the world. That's what it's for. So uh, Paul talks about us uh, uh, eagerly now waiting for the adoption. So we're groaning, waiting for something to happen, and we're waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So I've taught you that adoption has to do with God, not you being saved. So you're not a son of God by adoption. You're a son of God by, by regeneration, by being born again. That's why you're a son of God, by the Holy Spirit. But you are, you, God has adopted you, that has brought you a, into his family, as a part of his family, as a full-grown, uh, mature adult. So you can now do the family's business. That's one phase of adoption. The other part, Paul says, is the redemption of our body. And so when, when our bodies are redeemed totally, the, the adoption process has taken full effect and there will be no negation of that full effect and there will be no rescinding of it at all and we will be forever and ever and ever and ever without any possibility of being anything else but sons of God. That's exactly what God is after. I'm telling y'all, I, I mean, I feel like the old preacher when I was in college, he was... Uh, and we weren't responding too well. No, you, you're doing well. But he, he wasn't responding too, we weren't responding too well. So he folded his arms and he shook himself. He said, well, I'm preaching myself happy. <laughs> I remember him. Yeah, we let him down. Paul says we were saved with this hope or we were saved with this expect, expectation. We're saved with the expectation of, of victory. We are uh, saved with the expe- expectation of deliverance. Uh, from all of this corruption, we're saved with the expectation of full adoption, the redemption of our bodies. We're, we're talking about a bodily resurrection. Jesus did not resurrect from the grave spiritually. He resurrected bodily. Yes, bodily, spirit, soul, and body. He, he totally got out of the grave. And so he's saying that same thing to you and me today is that we were saved with this hope. Or God says, this is my expectation. Do you, do you think that God's not going to have what he wants? I mean, I, I mean, he's not God if he can't have what he wants. I mean, God's going to have what he wants. And it is not up to you or, or me to tell God what he should want. And it's up to us to walk this thing out. And, and we are being tossed to and fro. We have been, give, we have been, we have been given all kinds of information, just uh, craziness, and many of us are believing it. Some, many of us do not get our, our news from the Spirit of God. We get our news from the world. We don't interpret the, the things that are going on through the Word of God. We interpret the Word of God through the things that are going on. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. But why does one still hope for what he sees? So this world that we see is not what we are to hope for, what we are expecting. So the Lord wants us to stop looking at the things we're seeing and and defining ourselves by what we see and what we feel and what's going on in in Austin or Washington, D.C. 
He wants you to be a leader in that. And you and I can speak it. You know, it's that word we can speak it out. And uh, the voice of the saints of God will, will take the, winds of the, the, uh, the wings of the wind and go wherever the wind goes. When we speak it out, because those things that are revealed are for us and for our children forever. And that's how we have to look at it. This world is not my home. What I'm talking about, this world sphere, I'm not saying the earth, but this world sphere is not my home. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. We are to now live by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by the information we receive from our favorite television station. We are to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, with a view of heaven and the promises of God. You know, when I was a boy, we talked about heaven all the time. People talked about heaven all the time. If you're as old as I am or fairly close, you know, do you remember uh, people talking about heaven all the time? If you grew up in, in a church, you know, you, you, they talked about heaven, 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 heaven. And uh, they, they were not setting their stakes in the ground here to say, okay, this is it. I'm going to, you know... Um, outline my little lot here. I'm on, these are my boundaries, and this is where I'm going to live forever. No, they, they weren't. Uh, they had a view of heaven. And I'm saying to you that God wants you to live beyond the things you see. Live beyond the temporary things and have a view beyond that. Let your, uh, your sanctified imagination take you far beyond the stars. Yeah. You can let your sanctified, not just crazy stuff, but let your sanctified imagination take you far. Beyond, beyond, beyond the stars. Look, look, at, look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. Paul says, I was, oh, uh, verse 3, 2, 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now, he says, I, I did not try to impress you with uh, and through my humanity. I did not try to impress you with eloquence or some great oratory. He said, but no, but the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He said, so he wanted you to see something from God. He wanted something to come from God. He says that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So what the enemy is trying to do is get us to have faith in the wisdom of men, human wisdom. I mean, I, it happens every day. And some of us, those of us who are really, really have been deceived by it, we don't know it. And, and we are still, we're, we're fighting uh, against sound doctrine because of something we heard on television or read off the internet. That's not what God wants for you. But he wants you to be a leader, a true leader. And I will say to you that the time in which we are living, this is what it's all about. We told you in 2019, December 2019, uh, somewhere in that neighborhood, that uh, God was going to be doing some things in the world and that it was going to be, uh, it was going to be difficult to get into the nations. We didn't know it, uh, that COVID was going to happen, but that's what the Holy Spirit was revealing, uh, that, that um, things were not going to be like they were and that this time that was upon us was going to be a time of reset and revealing. Reset and revealing. And I have seen so much revealed. And people are still walking around as though they are not being revealed. We're being revealed, being exposed. Let's look at First uh, Thessalonians a little bit. Chapters, chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. 
And Paul talks to the Thessalonians, and he says, you became followers of us and of the Lord. And I love that in verse 6. You became followers of us and the Lord. Sometimes it's wrong for people to follow you as though you are God. I mean, we don't want that at all. But we should be such example people that people can follow us. They can walk, oh, uh, this person is godly, this person is this, and I'm going to follow. So Paul says they did that. And having received the word in much affliction. We are living in troubled times, and we are receiving the word of God in much affliction, but with joy of the Holy Spirit. He says, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia uh, who believe. So the Thessalonians became an example of how to live in a difficult period. How to live. Are you an example of how to live in a difficult period? Are you an example of how to be a Christian in a changing world? Are you an example of how to be a Christian and a person of truth when lies are pervasive? Or are you the person who says, I don't see all those lies that pastor's talking about? Wow. So let's keep reading. For from you, the word of God, of the Lord, has sounded forth. Now let's, from them, from you, that's like saying from you, is the word of God has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God, he says, has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God. They turned to God from idols. Now let me show you how this is applicable to us here today. We, ha we don't have sticks that we call gods, you know. We don't take a, a plastic bottle and shape it and color it and say this is my God. We just have points of view. We have points of view that are, that are not God. We make up stuff. We make up stuff about faith and about living for God. And we rebuke our preachers, our teachers who are telling us, but thus saith the Lord. And we tell them, no, no, I, I've, I've, I've got a Bible. And this is what my Bible says. And we argue those points. I've got medical uh, journals in our home. We have them. But that doesn't make me a doctor. And so what I'm saying is you have to receive the engrafted word of God so, you, so, so that you might grow thereby. Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. That's what you want. You want the truth of God. The Bible calls us, these, these people here, flesh and blood people. You cut us, we bleed. We, we, you, you know, we get sick like everybody else. But we have the power of God and the spirit of God. Yeah. We have the power of God. We have the word of God. We're called the house of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Pillar and ground of the truth, yes. God says, I've invested my truth in you. Wow, that's amazing to me. And so he's telling us, you should have hope beyond what you're seeing. You have hope beyond what you see? If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we of all men most miserable are to be pitied. No. And, and we're not fools except we're fools for Christ's sake. That's what we are. We're not just fools, but we're fools for Christ's sake. Because we, we know that he is who he says he is. And we have given up everything to follow him. Peter said to the Lord when the rich young ruler uh, refused to give up everything, Peter says, what will we have? We've given up everything. Can you imagine that? 
Isn't it wonderful to give up something for God? I like to give. My wife and I like to give. We like to give. And sometimes we give and it, it hurts. It, you know, it hurts a little bit. But aren't you glad you give when it hurts? I mean, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to, to, to be able to give your last? Wouldn't it be? Is that, can you see the beauty of that? You know, you, you only have $100. And God, the Holy Spirit said, give that $100 you gave him. Or maybe you're, you're on a retirement income and you have just so much in your budget, but you give, you strain that budget. Isn't that good? I mean, it would be wonderful if you were billionaires and you had, each, each had 50 or 100 billion dollars and you gave a uh, million dollars. That would be wonderful. But look how much you have left. The woman who gave the two mites gave more than all. Why? Because she gave everything she had. She gave till it hurt. It, it hurt her. And, and that's what Jesus is saying. Let me continue to read. So he says, you've turned from your, from, to God from idols. So I just wanted to say, sometimes we have made idols of living in the Western world. We've made idols of our conveniences. We've made idols of, of our buildings and our our climate control, we've made idols of, of air conditioning and, and nice, comfortable cars and wonderful seats. I like it all. But it's not an idol to me. It's not an idol to me. We just came back, Pastor Stan and Pastor Jackson and I just came back from a place where we rode in a car for 12 hours, bumpity, 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 bumpity. And, uh, and there, there was a time we did have AC, but when we got to the buildings where we were preaching and teaching, no, no air conditioning. And, and then at, at, at night in the, the place where uh, Pastor Stan, Pastor Jackson were, no AC. Yeah, it's wonderful to give that up. They give it up. I'm just saying, we don't have little idols that we carry around with us, but we carry idols here in our minds. Let's get rid of them as, as we turn to God from idols to serve him and to wait for his son from heaven, and to wait for his son from heaven. We, we don't wait for Jesus from heaven much anymore. There's very little talk about heaven anymore because we live so well here. Our assignment is to look, wait for him, eagerly wait for him from heaven. Are you so tired of this world that you want Jesus to come from heaven? I want Jesus to come from heaven. And I live pretty well. I have climate control in my home, climate control in the building, climate control in my cars, comfortable seats. I can even adjust them. But I want Jesus to come. I want Jesus to come. Do you want Jesus to come? That's, that's who we are. That's what we're to do, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus delivers us. And when Jesus comes, you and I will never undergo the wrath of God. That's so big for me. We will never undergo the wrath of God. Now, you will undergo difficulties. You will go undergo tribulations. But you will never undergo the wrath of God because Jesus took his wrath for you and for me.
It is pivotal to our faith that we turn from idols, and those are things that are not God. Then they demand our focus and our attention. I want to just say a few more things, and I will do that quite quickly. In 1 John, let me just read it, and I will try to read it without much commentary. I'll try. In 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 15, he tells us, he gives us a command. And this is very difficult for believers because I don't see believers actually walking this out as we should, as a whole. I do see individuals, but not as a whole. This is what he says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. I find that too many of us love the world and the things in the world. Now, now what does it mean by the world? It's an entity or a sphere of operation which is hostile to God. So when he says, don't, live, don't, don't love the things of the world or the things in the world, he's talking about in that sphere where it's hostile to God. You know, so there is a sphere of operation that they don't want somebody like you or me telling them that there's a God. I've been in that, in that sphere. I remember in the university, uh, one time our professor, uh, political science professor, was an atheist, and he was a devout atheist, and he said something, and I wasn't really living the way I should have lived. You know, I was, I, was, I was in weakness, but not as Paul was. <laughs> but he said, there's no God. And I said, sir, there is a God. There is a God. I just had to stop him. Maybe it was just the Spirit of God speaking out of me. And I said, there's a God. And he said, Mr. Leval, you're an ignorant man. And man, I carry that badge today. Don Lavelle, ignorant man, who believes there is a God. Not only do I believe in a God, I go further than that. He's my dad, my father. And, and uh, Jesus Christ, God, uncreated life, is my elder brother. I go beyond what the professor thought. Do not love the world or the things in the world. That operation, that sphere of influence that's hostile to God. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you love that, the, world of, the love of the Father is not in you. Wow. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Do, not, do you not know, James says in James 4.4, 4, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God, that is hatred toward God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So what does that mean? It means that when you get on television or online Facebook and, and all you're about is taking these sides and these political wars and all this crazy stuff that goes on, and you are now a part of the, of the latest uh, conspiracy theory, you don't love God. That's what he said. You don't love God. You may want to love God. I told you that there was a time I thought I was a diligent seeker. I wasn't a diligent seeker. I was seeking to be a diligent seeker. And there may be some of us today, we don't love God, but we, we're seeking to love him. We want to love him. You have to let go of the world, either the world or God. It's not both. You can't hold on to both. This is what he says. He says, for all that is in the world, all, not some. Well, there are good things in the world. Really? I'm talking about that sphere of operation that's hostile to God. I'm not saying there's nothing good in the earth. But the world is that cosmos, that's, that, that sphere that's hostile to God. He says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that means ungodly bodily appetites. 
You, you just satisfy your flesh, whatever your flesh wants. He said, if all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, whatever your eyes want, you, you say you try to give it, even if it doesn't belong to you. The pride of life, boasting in what you have or what you do. That stuff, it says, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And, no, this is what he says to every believer. And the world is passing away. So you're lusting for something that is temporary, that is passing away. The world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. All that is in the world is temporary. Christians should reject this way of living because they are focused on what cannot be seen to the human eye. And Paul, the apostle, the great apostle, he lived a life detached from this world system. He lived a totally detached life. And he, and he is so adamant, unyielding about living a detached life that he never, he didn't get married. He wanted to just live for God. I used to read, it, read Paul and I would say, uh, Paul must have been crazy. <laughs> you know, everybody wants to, wants to be married to a wonderful wife. You know, what does he mean? It's better to be like I am. Have it by yourself, buddy. You know what I mean? You know. Now, now, now my brothers are looking. They know they felt the same way. And, and so, but what Paul is saying is he was radical for Jesus. He says, I just want to give all of my devotion to God. I don't, want, I don't want to be worried about this or that. I want to be only concerned with what God wants. And he was admonishing us, encouraging us to live a life that is detached from the world system. Now, if you're married, he's not saying don't take care of your wife. He doesn't, he doesn't say, and I, I've said to you sometimes it's probably unfair to be married to me because I'm always going somewhere, always doing somewhere, always saying God wants me to do this, Marv. God wants this. God wants that. And she's married to me. I feel bad about it sometimes. But I understand Paul. And Paul is saying to there are many of us here who can live a detached life from the world system and we're not doing it. So I want, I want you to, to change that and I want us to just yield ourselves to Jesus, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re resign from preaching for today. All right? Is everybody changed? <laughs>